You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 42. Verses 1 and 2, Jacob sends his sons to Egypt. Why do you just keep looking at each other? I find this comment by Jacob to his sons to be quite humorous. They are now one to two years into this famine. They may have seen their neighbors returning to Canaan with grain from Egypt. They all have families who are crying out to them because of hunger, yet they're doing nothing. He couldn't understand their inaction. So Jacob says, why do you just keep looking at each other? I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Verses 3 to 5. Joseph's brothers go to Egypt without Benjamin. They make the 11 to 14 day trip by donkey to Egypt to buy grain. They decide that if more of them go, then they can get more grain for their large families and will not need to return as often. But Jacob refuses to release Benjamin into their care. Although he is an adult with a family of his own, Jacob fears some calamity will befall him, as it had Joseph. They have no idea this famine will last as long as 17 years. The famine has reached Canaan as well, so they join the throngs of people headed to Egypt. They are called the sons of Israel. Ten of them go, and that means that Judah has returned to his family. Verses 6 to 8, First Glimpses Meanwhile, Joseph was in his role as governor of the land and was the person who sold grain to all its people. Then providentially, they show up at the exact location where Joseph is, Unknowingly, they bow down before him. Joseph recognizes them and realizes God has just fulfilled his dream from his youth. Since Joseph is dressed as an Egyptian, including makeup, and he is now a man since 21 years have passed, and in a role they wouldn't expect, he hasn't revealed any familiarity, and he speaks through an interpreter to them, they don't realize he is their brother. So he uses this to his advantage to see if they are still the same scoundrels who sent him there. He's not being vindictive, but his goal is to bring them to repentance. He demands to know where they're from and why they've come, even though he already knows. They reply, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Verses 9 to 14, the test of false accusations. Then, just as they had accused him of spying on them, and reporting back to their father, he turns the tables. You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Why would such a large group of men so close in age be traveling together? They protest their innocence. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. One could argue that they are far from being honest men, even if they are not spies. They claim to be brothers, the sons of one man. And this would be hard to imagine for a stranger since they are all close in age, not knowing there were four women often pregnant at the same time. He again charges them with spying, which was a capital offense. They give more details about their family to show the truth of their claims. Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man, who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Notice how they describe the missing son, Joseph. 
One is no more. No more, indeed. They didn't know if he was dead or just gone. Joseph is not convinced. Verses 15 through 17, the test of imprisonment. They mentioned in passing that Benjamin and Jacob were still alive in Canaan. That must have eased his mind, since he would have noticed Benjamin was not with them. His father was elderly when he was born, and now so much time had passed. He also would have feared for the safety of Rachel's other son, with brothers like these. But he longs to see Benjamin for himself, so he demands they bring him to Egypt to verify their story. In the meantime, he decides to imprison them to see if they were telling the truth. Twice he uses the phrase, as surely as Pharaoh lives. And this would have thrown them off and made them think that he was the Egyptian they assumed he was. So he imprisons them for three days, probably in the same royal prison where he spent so much time. We know it is only for three days, but when they were put there, they had no idea if it was indefinite to mitigate any threat from their spying. So was there any sense that Joseph wanted them to see what prison was like? Possibly, but we're not told. He also had some had said one of them could go and get their brother and the rest would be imprisoned, but instead he imprisoned them all. So it's common in situations like this to keep changing the rules, and now he will change them yet again. Verses 18 through 23, the test of abandonment. Consciences pricked. But after three days, Joseph realizes their families are still waiting for food, so he releases them from prison. Then he says something surprising, which should have made them wonder. Do this and you will live, for I fear God. Wouldn't they be surprised to find the fear of God in this place? It is precisely because Joseph does fear God that they will be dealt with fairly. He knows he answers to a higher authority. Then he uses their claim to be honest men against them. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in the prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. How would they feel about abandoning a brother to Egypt? Would they not care so long as they could escape with their own lives? Then the worst part, but you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. They already knew how their father felt about letting Benjamin go. How could they possibly convince him to trust Benjamin into their keeping in order to liberate another son? This trip was going from bad to worse. And even after all this time, they see there is a connection between what they did to Joseph and what was happening now. They recall hearing him crying out from the pit and not caring. He may also have begged them to reconsider as he was being led away. It's also interesting that they now refer to him as their brother. When they presented the bloody coat to Jacob, they asked if he recognized that it belonged to his son. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. And that's why this distress has come on us. Matthew Henry says, Whenever we think we have wrong done to us, we ought to remember the wrong we have done to others. The person who felt the worst about what happened to Joseph hadn't even agreed to it in the first place and had hoped to rescue him, Reuben. He said, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They feared the death penalty because they truly believed Joseph was dead.
They didn't have scripture as we do, but in an oral culture, they would have heard all the stories, especially Cain and Abel, and how Abel's blood cried out for justice from the ground. And that, after the global flood, God said he would require an accounting for any bloodshed. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made mankind. Later, Moses would warn the children of Israel, You will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. So while it was happening, they were heartlessly eating their lunch. But now, in adversity, their conscience is pricked. And this is one of the benefits of affliction. It humbles us and helps us to see our sin. Joseph was hearing all this in a language he had not heard in years. They wouldn't know this since he was using an interpreter. This was a spontaneous response of remorse. But were they truly repentant or just upset that they were caught? Verse 24, Emotional Response, Simeon Bound As we'll see throughout the narrative, Joseph is a sensitive, emotional man. He is not vindictive. All he wants is to be reunited with his family and to have a good relationship with them. But he has to see if they've changed. Hearing this insight from his brothers, and that Reuben was his advocate, causes him to turn away from them to weep. Then he schools his features and chooses one of them, Simeon, and binds him in front of them. And this would remind him of seeing Joseph bound by the slave traders as they carted him off to Egypt. He didn't take Reuben, whom he had just seen was the most innocent of the crime. And there is speculation about why he chose Simeon in particular. We know from the Dinah incident that he was especially violent, along with Levi. Had he been especially cruel to Joseph that day at the pit? Did Joseph hear that their three days in prison was especially hard for him? We don't know. But now the brothers understood what that prison was like, and Simeon would be there for as long as it took for them to return, if they returned at all. They could choose to abandon another brother to Egypt. Verses 25 to 28. Money returned. Well, what more can they do? Their families are waiting for food. They have to leave Simeon in Egypt. So they load their grain onto their donkeys, unaware that Joseph had given orders to return the silver they paid for their food back into their sacks. He also gave them provisions for their journey. And this was very gracious, and they must have wondered if he did this for everyone who came to buy grain. He didn't. At their first rest stop for the night, one of them opened his sack to feed his donkey and saw his silver in the bag. With surprise, he informed his brothers, My silver has been returned. Here it is in my sack. This caused fear and consternation, as well as depression. Their fear grew when they checked and found all of them had their money returned to them. They also saw a sovereign God was dealing with them. They had a guilt-ridden conscience and said, what is this that God has done to us? And this made them take a good thing and see only bad in it. Verses 29 to 36 report to Jacob. Back in Canaan, they had to explain to their father why they returned without another one of his sons. 
They gave a blow-by-blow -blow account of their interactions with the governor of the land, explaining that their defense to, against the accusation of spying was to honestly tell them, tell him that they were all from the same family. They were surprised when he imprisoned Simeon and demanded Benjamin come to Egypt before he would be released, and they and they be allowed to trade in the land. They also told him about finding the silver returned to their grain sacks, yet they failed to mention that they were also imprisoned for three days. So this news was devastating for Jacob to hear, but worse when he heard about the money, because that seemed out of character for a man who had treated them so harshly. He worried they had somehow wronged the Egyptians. So this frightened him, but he was also angry at his sons. You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. So this was a low point for Jacob. He had already lost Joseph. Simeon was gone, and he didn't think he'd see him again. Now he feared losing Benjamin, too. Then the statement, everything is against me, shows he was feeling far from being blessed. He saw everything in relation to himself as he had after the Dinah incident. He couldn't know that not only were things not against him, but they were for him. <clears throat> he also seems to hint that his sons were responsible for the, his loss of Joseph by their intrigues, because he said, you have deprived me of my children. Did he mean Joseph and Simeon? Was he suspicious of his son's role in the death of Joseph? We don't know, but he doesn't trust them. Notice the difference in them already. When they first informed Jacob about Joseph's death, they had no concern for his feelings. But now they were very gentle and respectful. They seemed to accept that their father had a special relationship to the sons of Rachel. They were finally starting to realize what a wicked thing they did to both their brother and their father. Verses 37 and 38, Reuben's Appeal, Case Closed. As the eldest, Reuben appeals to his father. He has to convince him to release Benjamin into their care, or they'll have to leave Simeon in Egypt. He also was still trying to get back into his father's favor after the incident with his father's concubine, Bilhah. But instead of offering himself in Benjamin's place, he offers his own son's lives. You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. It was a ridiculous offer and Jacob doesn't even dignify it with a response. How would killing two of his grandsons make up for losing Simeon and Benjamin? Instead, he'd have grief times four. But although he didn't take him up on the offer, it is a warning against making a rash vow. He answers with finality. My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. <clears throat> if harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. And this was how he felt when he heard the news about Joseph. I wonder how they felt hearing Jacob talk about Benjamin and Joseph as his sons, as if they weren't also his sons. He determined that he could not live with the grief he'd feel if he lost Benjamin after losing his brother Joseph. After all these years, his grief was still fresh. The case was closed. So Joseph no doubt wanted to see his father and Benjamin, 
and to do that he could have told them who he was right away, but the repentance may not have been genuine. They may have said anything since he was in a position of power over them. He wouldn't have known the true state of his brothers' hearts. Twice they claimed to be honest men, so twice Joseph said, If you are honest men, then... So as a wise leader, Joseph could wait. So this process would take almost two years. Scarlet threads. So what are the scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or an application to the gospel that we find in this chapter? The sons of Israel heard there was bread in Egypt, so they made the effort to search for it without delay. Why should we starve while we see others getting food? But once we've been fed, we need to share where it can be found, like the Samaritan beggars who looted the Syrian tents until their consciences bothered them. And there's a quote by D.T. Niles that says, Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him. Jesus' disciples didn't realize who he really was for a long time. And the Jews of his time definitely didn't realize who he was. Joseph knew all about his brothers' past sins and could hear and understand everything they said. Jesus knows all about our past and even now knows not just what we say, but what we think. Affliction brought conviction of sin to the brothers. God uses many ways to convict us of sin. And when God reveals our sin through the conviction brought by the Holy Spirit, we need to repent, believe, and obey. Joseph was kind and gracious and generous to his brothers, even though they didn't deserve it. Even when we were enemies, Jesus graciously provided for us out of his common grace, giving us more than we deserved, freely, and then he saved us. Joseph's brothers bowed down to him. Jesus was worshipped on earth and will be worshipped by all. Joseph's brothers' consciences were pricked even all this time after the event. After Jesus' ascension, when he poured out the Holy Spirit, the consciences of those who crucified him were convicted. Joseph's brothers were imprisoned for three days and then released. Jesus was imprisoned in the tomb for three days and then resurrected. Joseph's brothers got a taste of what he had suffered false accusations, death threats, imprisonment, feeling abandoned and powerless. Because Jesus suffered, we must expect the same. Jacob thought everything was against him, but behind the scenes it was actually working out for their good, just as it is for believers. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 43. May God bless the study of his word.